and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, Dan O'Rourke, and along with me today, I've got Ron Huntley sitting next to me. Hello, Ron. How are you? Good day, Dan. I couldn't be better. Thanks. That is fabulous. And across the table from me, I have none other than Father James Mellon, who's actually pointing a cell phone to, at me at this moment. Father, what are you doing? Well, hi, Dan. I'm, uh, we're, we're, we're periscoping. So it's uh, it's a new kind of uh, a social media thing where you can uh, basically turn your phone into a, a live stream device. So yeah, it's really really cool. Yeah, you're using the the term new loosely. Uh, you're a little behind the curve. Periscope's been around for a little bit. Hey, well, I just started yesterday. He's a millennial. No, he's not. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so indeed, you're you're periscoping the first few minutes of this podcast as we record it. And uh, so people who aren't already following you on Twitter, this is the kind of magic they're missing out on. Uh, so why don't we talk a little bit about what we're actually doing, which is a podcast on the topic of catechesis. Uh, so catechesis, not only is it a word that's hard to spell, but it's an important thing to <laughs> you the know, church. You know, I constantly misspell it. I didn't know there was I've a got, J in there. I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> I have this mental block. You know, I think about everyone has like five or six words that they constantly get wrong. I constantly, I eat Honest to truth, I had to Google it this morning to, if it, to find, figure out if there was an E or an A. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty bad. I am glad that uh, that we've got the spelling right, so people, as we pronounce the word, won't uh, won't hear the the a too loudly in it. Uh, I just looked up the spelling again just to make sure I wasn't pronouncing it. Catechetics. Catechesis. There's the uh, there's the word up there. You see, we've got some Greek showing there, and and that's. So, that's yeah, important. Tell, the Greek is important. That. So, like, okay, so the word's catechesis. The, the, the spelling is complicated. But what do we mean when we say catechesis? Well, what do you know mean? what is really cool about this? Think of the, you get catechesis. So it, the, the center of that word is, is the word echo, echo. Catechane in Greek, this is what it means. It means to, to sound out. So when you you know when you you stand at the entrance to a cave and you say hello 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 you hear your voice coming back this is exactly what it means it means that you're when we catechize uh, we're 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 teaching we're speaking faith into people's lives we're giving them knowledge and faith and they're they're speaking back to us uh, that we're we're hearing back from them it's like anything when but it's it's not just like talking to a parrot right you can hear back from a parrot you can teach a parrot to say anything but when faith becomes real. It's truly coming from that person's heart. That's the meaning of catechesis. Mm. So when you hear that word, think of think of an echo, because because that's what the word means. It means to to sound out, and that's and it just shows you that the only way you can get an echo is if there's a cave, right? Mm. If you if you go up to a brick wall and shout at the brick wall, you're not going to hear an echo, <laughs> uh, and that's that's why evangelization needs to precede catechesis because there's got to be a space where you can you, you can speak into in order to hear the uh, your, your voice coming back so cool. ca- catechesis think of echo that's the meaning of the word echo is a way easier word to spell as well <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time for us to sign off here because I'm gonna need both uh, both both hands here so. talking to the phone not to the uh, podcast yes, listeners. Ex- <laughs> yeah that's right I'm getting my media confused here so god bless everyone on periscope and uh stay with us don't hang up if you're on um if you're listening to the podcast listening to the podcast okay <laughs> swipe down. i can never figure out how to kill this thing like i said following uh, father james on, on uh on periscope is a joy because you watch him fumble with his phone every time <laughs> um so look my experience of catechesis is more like being the wall that was shouted at so i find this i think this is gonna be an interesting conversation so why don't we talk a little bit more about um what we mean when we're talking about catechesis is, are we talking about just about kids? Are we talking about kids and adults? What, 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 
what approach are we taking here? It's interesting. I'd like to speak to our listeners right now and say, when you hear the word catechesis, what do you think? Right away, mm. immediately, what comes to mind? Pain. <laughs> <laughs> Though you think about kids or adults, I think in most of our churches, we immediately think of what we do with children. Totally. And That's I where think, my mind goes. I, I think, and, and we have to work with we have to work work with mm-hmm. kids. But but one of the things we we sought to do here in the early years at St Benedict Parish was to turn that on its head and and said what you know, if culture is what you presume is what you reward is what you tolerate but it's it's what you presume as well. Imagine if the presumption was that when we said catechesis we simply meant working with adults. Mm-hmm. That that would be so cool because the thing is if if you just work with kids. And the kids know that if mom and dad don't really care about this stuff, it, it's it's not going to really go anywhere, you know. Um, but if you get the adults, you usually you can often get the kids as well if 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 it's really important to the to, to the adults. You know, when you're on a plane and it says if you if those uh, mask thingies fall down, it says put put it on yourself first and then help the child because if if you go unconscious, the kid's in trouble as well. So, uh, you know, Mm. it also is that someone said that Jesus taught adults and blessed the kids. What do we do in the church? We teach the kids and bless the adults. So one of the things we're looking for is to normalize uh, adult faith formation or adult catechesis. Well, and too, Father James, I remember Shannon uh, having gone through Alpha uh, and then in her witness saying, you know what, I learned about faith as a child growing up through the catechesis program, and it stopped when I received the sacrament of confirmation. But then I went off to university and into the business world, and so she finds herself in all these situations as an adult with a child's understanding of faith. And she said it wasn't until she did Alpha that she realized that there was a huge gap there. Mm. And so for her, just kind of sharing her witness, it was just such an important part of making faith have, have you know, it's kind of where the rubber hits the ground. But see, she didn't start to care about what she didn't know until she started to care. Point. And, and that's the difference between evangelization and catechesis, isn't it? I mean, I think back to when I was, uh, when I was a, a kid, you know, I, I got to be honest, I, I'm sorry, but I hated Sunday school. Joe, I, I was <laughs> resentful. I had a lot of anger issues over, over this when I was a kid because... It was like Sunday, I used to think, isn't it supposed to be a day of rest? And I've got to get up early and, and go work. to school. And what was worse, I, they had Sunday school in the school where I went to school. So I had to go back into a classroom on Sunday morning. And one of my favorite like TV school, shows six days a week. That's was on fair. Sunday morning, which just wasn't fair. No, totally. It just wasn't. And I, I, I found it so boring. They didn't have VCRs back then either, right, Father? No, that's right, yeah. No VCRs. You just missed those cartoons. <laughs> I was there too. I was in the same school because we grew up in both grew up in Cold Harbor. I did the same thing. And I was so angry because I, I went to Sunday school because my mom made me, not because I had a lick of desire to I learn honest, about I actually, Christ. I actually played Sunday school hooky. <gasps> I did once. Once I, I actually didn't show up. I went uh, went to the, the arcade. To the confessional. And I showed up at the school to get picked up by my dad. Uh, and he said, well, how, was, how was school? It was, oh, it was good. It was good. Of course, I, I lied. And uh, then we went to church, and I'll never forget this. Well, at communion time, I get out, and my Sunday school teacher was right behind me. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, my cover's been blown. I'm, I'm in big trouble, but she didn't say anything to me. So I'll never forget that. <laughs> but, but, you know, I had this, this, like, I just, and it wasn't that. It was just, I, I didn't care. I, I loathed it. I really did. Yeah. Fast forward a couple of years. Uh, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm 16, 17 years old. I've had this experience after going on a retreat weekend, I had an experience of God's love. All of a sudden, I have a hunger to know. I want to know about this God. I remember going to my aunt's house. She had all these really cool books on faith and church. And I'd literally walk out with a, a book, an armload of books 
because all of a sudden it's like anything. When you fall in love, you say to the, the person you're in love with, you say, I, I want to tell me everything about you. I want to know everything there is to know about you. And that's, that's catechesis and evangelization. That's, that's when you've got the cave. Right. That's when you can hear an you've echo. You've created the space. You've created the space. If there's no space, you can shout all you want. You can give all the information you want. It doesn't take root. So the pattern of catechesis, at least the pattern I'm familiar with and what I grew up with, is catechesis is something that you do and then you're done. Yes. I mean, you do it and you're done. I've done catechesis. I am done. I, you know, I can, we can turn the podcast off. I can go home. <laughs> catechesis over. Is that the way we should be doing it? Or No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Because the thing is, if, you're, if you fall in love with the master, uh, you, you, never, you never stop growing. And, and when you become a disciple, you know, discipleship, it means learning. A disciple is one who learns. You, it's like anything with learning, any area of learning your life. The more you learn, the more you realize you still have more to learn. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. That's the sign of authentic learning is that you have a greater awareness of your ignorance. <laughs> Good point. And, and, you, and you need to know. So if you have no desire to know or no awareness of what you don't know, it's a sure sign that you are desperately in need of some evangelizing <laughs> and mm. some discipleship and some catechesis. So the fact that I feel ignorant is a good thing is what you're trying to say. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, there's a great quote. A guy called uh, Dr. Michael Warren said this, and I, I heard this quote, I, actually I mentioned this in the book, but I heard this quote at a conference, a stewardship conference a number of years back, and it was I was actually in the hallway, uh, and I overheard this one quote, and it's literally stopped me in my tracks. And it was like one of those eureka light bulb moments. And it's a quote that goes like this, catechesis ought to be occasional and lifelong. We've made it continuous and terminal. If you think about it, okay, you're going to do it every single year, you know, grade one, two, three, four, five, and then when you get confirmed, that's it. For the rest of your life, you don't have to learn anything else whatsoever. And it's crazy. It's insane. So we've got all these intelligent adults uh, in church who have incredible knowledge. They get PhDs and university degrees, Business incredibly people, competent, yeah. and they have a, a, a nine-year-old's understanding of faith. They, they're very, very ignorant. And these are even sometimes people who are, maybe they've been evangelized, but, but you know, but we haven't given them the proper tools to, to, to learn. So catechesis is for adults. I think this is going to rock a lot of people's minds a little bit. I mean, you know, it does have a, a, a traditional, you know, framing around youth, but it, here at St. Benedict, is it something that, that we have included with, uh, with our adults in, in the parish? Absolutely. Yeah, we've done, you know, discipleship groups. Again, our, our key focus is evangelization. And what I love about what we do here is, yeah, Alpha is an amazing tool, but the preaching's changed here too on the weekends. Every weekend service, the charisma is proclaimed in an exciting, dynamic way that people can relate to it. The preaching's amazing here. And so it's part of our culture. Because here's the thing, as Father James was talking about, you know, creating a cave, and, and kind of these parameters, if, if, if you don't have a desire to learn, maybe you, you need to be evangelized. Well, I would throw myself into that category. It's not like I'm stagnant. Oh, I've been evangelized, so now I'm forever evangelized. I find myself going into spiritual deserts from time to time. And I have to be honest about that. And that's why personal prayer is so important. Scripture is so important. But even with all that, I can still find myself in the desert. And so I constantly need to be evangelized by my friends and so on to re-stir up that hunger. And that's why when you consider, you know, the idea of 
folks going through the Alpha experience, connecting in new ways and fresh ways with Christ, but also with people. Those relationships continue in discipleship groups, which meet every second week, or sorry, in connect groups that meet every second week. And then that desire to be in discipleship groups at the minimum once a year, then they'll last anywhere between four to six to eight weeks, but hopefully more often. But that's where, again, that information, what's preceded it is evangelization and great relationships. So you have friends caring for each other, saying, you know, Father James, I, I notice you're, you look like you're struggling, right, you know, the last few weeks. How are you really doing? So we can have this intimate, real conversation and, and help people out and draw them back into things like discipleship groups where we learn about stuff. Well, you're making a, a number of points there, Ron. First of all, the distinction between evangelization and catechesis, certainly evangelization has to come first. But as Ron said, once you move into into catechesis, which of course is is learning knowledge, deepening your knowledge in Scripture, in the teachings of the Church, and 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 learning how to pray and all all of these things, it always has to have an evangelistic element because wait, otherwise we just reduce it to knowledge information. Like our catechesis ought to be evangelizing us as well and or re-evangelizing us because yeah. I know even as a as a priest I need to hear the good news over and over and over again because we just swim in an environment that that, that kind of t- takes us away from it. But Ron used a couple of terms. He talked about connect groups, he talked about discipleship groups and yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. For, what's going on with that? Yeah so like, for, for those of those those who are listening think, well what the heck is he talking about? So basically the, <laughs> what's cool is that it's just kind of the norm around here. We just talk about the, these things. But our primary goal and this is important uh, because it was a change for me in, in my thinking and working with adults. When I first started doing Alpha years and years ago, my first priority was to fill out the theology, you know, because Alpha covers, you know, um, you know, who is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, how, how to pray. And it doesn't, it doesn't do say anything really about sacraments, the ecclesiology, the, talking about the church is kind of weak. It doesn't really get into Christian morality at all. There's, there's all these issues. And things that are particular to the Catholic faith that are not covered in Alpha. And my primary thing after starting Alpha was we got to fill out the theology, and that's why I created a program called Catholicism 2-1. Good uh, program. Good program, yeah. But over the years, I've changed. You know why? Because I've thought, you know, the, especially with new believers, people have just awakened or, or come to faith. The priority is to get them into communities of caring, uh, or like to say a web of relationships. And those are our connect groups. And connect groups are 20 to 30 people. They meet in homes and it's where belonging happens and where discipleship continues. People continue to grow and mature. They give talks, they share faith. And and those that's our priority now, either to get people into a disciple, into a connect group, a mid-sized group, or to get them back on team in Alpha. Now, once that's done, then we begin to raise the issue of, of catechesis because now we've they're kind of caught, they're kind of embedded. And then we say, well, you know, catechesis doesn't have to be continuous. It, it, it can be occasional. And we say, well, at least once a year, do something that will that will begin to fill out your knowledge, your understanding, whether it's a Bible study or a catechism program or a program on the mass or what, what, whatever it is. And we call those discipleship groups. And these are small groups uh, that also meet in homes as well. And we encourage everyone to do to be in a discipleship group at least once a year. The the connect group is 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 midsize and it's we kind of see that as kind of permanent as part of being a part of the church. Whereas discipleship group can meet anywhere between four to eight weeks and they may meet again, they may not. Uh, so those are the two differences, but that's one of the things that we've got in place here to kind of drive adult faith formation. Right. So neither of those sound like what I imagine when I hear the term catechesis, which is frankly a classroom. Mm. Uh, so 
is this is is it deliberately different? Is it intentionally so? Yes, uh, things will never be different unless we're intentional. <laughs> it's very Good interesting, point. you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, when things drift, they try they tend to drift where they drift. You know, it's it's you're not going to change the direction by by being unintentional. Uh, no, this is very very intentional, and it really for me. I remember years ago, uh, my my second parish when I was pastor. Uh, I'll never forget this experience. We had the typical kind of grade-level classroom-based catechesis. And in, it was in between masses, and I used to go around and visit the different classes. And I remember one time the grade 9 class, this was the confirmation class, there was a little side room off the sacristy that had like, it was very moldy smell and had like an old piano in there and old chairs from like the 1940s. And and I, would, I dropped in, and there was about 12 kids sitting around in a circle and I'm not. And the teacher was was talking, and the kids. None of the kids were looking at the teacher. No one was saying anything, and they had like, they looked like they were dead. <laughs> like they they looked they were the look in their face was absolute agony. It was like, make it stop, please make it stop. And I looked and I watched these kids and I thought, why are we doing this? We're teaching them to hate church. Mm-hmm. We're giving them the most miserable, terrible experience and we're t- they can't no wonder we're going to confirm these kids. We're never going to see them again. No wonder because we, we haven't made it relevant. We haven't engaged them. And at that point we went on to basically get rid of, of classroom catechesis for junior high and high school age. That was the first thing I did because I thought we're torturing these kids. It's no wonder it's, it's no wonder that they that they leave, and we began to do youth ministry with them instead. And then later years, basically when I came to St. Benedict Parish, we dynamited the whole catechesis model, the whole classroom-based model, because uh, if you're not working with adults first, it's going to produce very little fruit. And we only have so much time and resources. And the question is, how are we going to invest it? So we we turned that around, and we made all of our catechesis to be family-centered, we don't do anything now with children that's not done with families. That was a difficult transition in the sense that when you do everything the same way for a long period of time, it's hard to change. It's, it's hard to give up. And guess what? You get pushback. Surprise, surprise. And a lot of people would drop their kids off and go to Tim Hortons. It was just you are just getting your kids done. So when we moved to this new model, uh, Dinah, our director of uh, Family Faith Formation, it was tough. She, it was a lot of courage on her part. She's just such a wonderful staff member and really carried Father James's vision and implemented. But it wasn't without struggle because what ended up happening was our numbers dropped significantly in terms of participation, but our impact went up significantly. If you don't know what success looks like in terms of engaging kids and families into the life of the church, if that's not what you're measuring, if all you're measuring is bums in seats— that's not fruit. Bums in seats is not fruit. People integrating into the life of the church and having a faith that's transformative for families, that's fruit. And so we started measuring things differently. And as long as we stay focused on what success looks like, we can start to celebrate the wins. But it did, it was a little gut check. As you see numbers plummet and people say, well, we're going to go somewhere else. Uh, yeah, we're going to go to another church that we won't go to. <laughs> when you don't go to church, I'm no, what I'm, church don't I'm you I'm no go longer going to gonna not go to your church. I'm going to not go to another church. <laughs> um, you know, Ron says that numbers plummeted. It's very interesting, though, because we actually, we took time. We didn't roll this out overnight. I mean, the first year here at St. Benedict Parish, we spent a lot of time talking Vision. about 
what is it all about? What is the meaning of church? I mean, what is what does it mean to make disciples? And why is this the primary task? And what is a disciple? And how that's what we're called to be. So we took almost a whole year. And then it wasn't until, I think, the third year here that we actually brought this change about. We went through a series of meetings with pastoral council. We met with the, with the, with the catechists, with the ministry leaders. Uh, we had these principles. We needed to work out a model. We communicated to people that a change was coming. Six months before we implemented the change, we notified the parents. It was a very careful, intentional rollout. And we had also had evaluated the numbers. Ron, you said that numbers plummeted, but it's very interesting. We had all these people registered in our catechesis program. On an, any given Sunday, we had an average attendance of 40%. 40% attendance. I remember a couple of times, whole classrooms where the teacher showed up and there was like, of say 14 children, no one showed up. Wow. No one no, no one showed. So on paper, we had all these people, but in Good reality, point. 60, 40% attendance rate. This is what we had. And another number of things were happening. Uh, what we noticed was a huge bump in the sacramental year. Huge. So people would come back to the sacramental year who hadn't been in the program for a number of years and also what we found is after their child received the sacraments, 50% of them never came back to catechism classes. And besides that, of the kids in the sacramental years, 80% of them never went to mass. They never went to church. And you had people dropping off their children. And sometimes the parents would be in the hallway drinking uh, coffee. And, and we tried to bring them in because we started doing sessions for adults. No, no, thank you. They, they, they really wanted nothing to do with it. It was a babysitting service. And we were putting tremendous amounts of energy into this and trying to find you know teachers for every grade level. And I'm thinking, look at all the energy and resources we're putting into this. And what difference is it making? What difference is it really making? And if we, we had to take a long, hard look at it and say it wasn't really making any difference at all. Wow. There's so much there in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, your willingness to, to take on what would have been a, a difficult situation. And uh, it, it so much of it reminds me of a lot of what you wrote about in Divine Renovation, a lot of what's happened here at this parish and the, the changes that have come about because of that. So I'm wondering, in regards to the adults, I mean, you're not you're not doing classrooms there either. Uh, you're you're doing these this it's almost like community building on, on a small scale every time. Is that really what's underpinning a lot of your catechetical approach? Is it really about community building while offering some some instruction or some learning opportunities? I remember years ago when my kids were at that age to receive uh, that we would go to church every Sunday and they're at the age to receive their sacraments and I thought I'm go I'm going to teach. I don't want them to experience what I experienced. And one of my principles is if God's in you and God's in me and we don't get to know each other, we've missed half the gospel message. And so that's the approach I took with the kids. And boy, we had some pile of fun. We did all kinds of team builders and fun games. We learned everything that we were called to learn and more. But it was all part, half of it was helping people really get to know each other. And I believe that is a principle that we really embrace here at St. Benedict Parish. Well, you know, I talk in the book about the, the paradigm shift, you know, in traditional culture and church culture. You know, there was uh, people knew what proper behavior looked like. They, they knew what they were supposed to believe. And if you behaved and believed, then you could belong. But today, it, the whole process begins with belonging, uh, which then leads people to, to believe. And then eventually they will behave. So instead of, of uh, behave, believe, belong, it's belong, believe, behave. And so it, it, the process of change, changing lives really does 
begin around an experience of community, uh, of, of being accepted, of being loved, of being supported. And once you're, you experience that, then you become open to hearing teaching, uh, which will then go on to change your life. So let me challenge you on this a little bit. You've written a book. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of what brought people to listen to this podcast. Your book was part of, I think, what helps people. Well, I'm wondering if, if you're just not using the wrong books in your catechetical classes. Was that the problem? Were you using the wrong books? Well, I, I used to think that for years. When I was first ordained, I was convinced that, well, in a broader sense, I was convinced that, that you know, the, the, I knew the church, I had this passion, it can be better than this, and I had the answers. Well, I usually think I have the answers, but anyway. But the answers I thought, I, I've now believed were not necessarily the right answers. They were good answers, but not the right ones. I was convinced that all that was needed was, was holiness in orthodoxy. So we needed to be holy, of course. That's, we, should, we should be. That's a good thing. Uh, and but we needed to have good, solid Catholic materials. And, and the problem was because we had these catechetical resources that were wishy-washy. And, that, and if we just have the right books, everything is going to turn around. Well, I, I've since learned that that is not... The answer—that's a part of the answer. I wouldn't have often said it. I wouldn't want a church that that doesn't strive for holiness and is not faithful to the teachings of the church. But in and of itself, it it didn't work. It didn't work for me. I had I introduced the right books in my early parishes. We had great books, and it was definitely an improvement. But it made very little difference on the ground. It really did. It for those eighty percent who just come and drop off their kids. It didn't make a single bit of difference, and uh, it took a long time for me to see what was obvious that it's not. A question of the book or the or the content per se. It's the model, and really, what I was doing in in, in changing out books, uh, it was like putting new tires on a on a broken down car. The, but the problem is not the tires; it's, it's the car. It doesn't. It, the the child centered classroom model comes from a, a bygone era of of you know a society that was you know pseudo. Christian, where you had a strong Catholic culture, family uh, faith was being lived strongly in, in in within families. Mom and dad believed when 80, 95 percent of Catholics went to church faithfully. They prayed at home, where everything you could presume that all the support systems necessary were in fact there. Well, now we're still doing what we're doing, but none of the supports are there, and 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 yet we we seem to be uh, handcuffed. We we can't break away from that model. It was interesting that year that I did participate in teaching uh, at the Sunday school level. Uh, I think it was probably week two or three. I had somebody else teach or be with the kids that session, and I went with the parents, and I facilitated a session. And, and I started by saying, when I, went, when I was your kid's age, I hated Sunday school, and everybody looked at me like, oh, my gosh, can he say that? <laughs> and then I said, I'll be honest with you, I didn't. And, 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 and faith was really difficult. I and I struggled with it, and I'd love for you guys to break up into small groups and tell me, what was your experience like with catechesis? And boy, the honesty that came out of it. And then I worked the room and got some feedback, and the next thing you know, we're all laughing our heads off. And I said to them, you know, if we continue to do the same things, are we going to get different results? And what kind of a faith do you want for your kids when they're going off to university, when they're faced with, you know, the, the culture of sex and pornography and addictions and do you want a faith that matters? And if you do, do you think we might want to do something different than we've done for you? And unanimously they said, yes. 
And we start now. I don't know if we solved any problems per se, but if you don't know what success looks like, if you don't know the outcome you want in people's lives, how are you ever going to get there? We can fail a hundred times if we're on our way to something amazing, and we will succeed. But when we've lost sight of what amazing looks like, then we can settle for all kinds of stuff that will never get us the results that God is calling us to. That's what I believe. It's so you know. It just reminds us over and over again that when we look at these issues, especially issues around long-standing practices that are deeply ingrained in us, is we've got to constantly come back to purpose. And that's the you know the main uh, point of the book is is that we're we're a missional church. We're called to make disciples, and and that's the goal of our catechesis of our everything we do in the church. You know, to make to raise up disciples who then go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. In, in, in the world to make a difference. And so that's, that's the thing, is are we making disciples or are we just putting people through a process? Um, are our lives being changed and being transformed? So we, that, that's a core question. You've got to come back to it again and again and again. So I came, I, my experience is, is, is different, I think, than probably a lot of people's. I mean, I, I grew up in a Catholic school system. I went through Catholic uh, grade school. I went through Catholic high school. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, like, that's, a, that's a system that also has a model, and it is, frankly, a little different than, than how a lot of parishes operate, but I know there's a lot of jurisdictions out there that have similar situations. Uh, so so how, what are your thoughts on, on the Catholic school systems, um, at least the ones that you might be familiar with, and, and how they relate to catechesis? I, I, I grew up in Scotland and went to Catholic schools, when I, when I was young, uh, and I have to say at that point in the 70s and the 80s, it was it made quite a good impact on my life, but it was also being li- lived at home. I know that many of our listeners across Canada, like in Nova Scotia, we don't have Catholic schools, but in elsewhere in Canada, we do, and in, in the United States and elsewhere, Catholic schools can be quite common. And really, I, I have to give a shout out to many of the faithful Catholic teachers who work hard and labor there, and Absolutely. I've met some amazing men and women who are faithful and really are striving to to make disciples, you know, to 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 impart faith, but in some ways you're 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 fighting against a lot of stuff. And again, I go back to the point that it's I think a model that is based on a, a on a bygone era. I, can it be revamped? Possibly, I think. I think. But the ultimate question is, is it working? As, as Ron says, are, are we are we are we getting the results? And do we know what results look like? And I remember a number of years ago, I did a parish mission down, and you know, I don't I don't do them in, anymore, but. I, I went to uh, this parish, and it was. They talked about the, how they the big school, and they were very proud of the school. It had won all kinds of awards. So, but one night I was talking to the pastor, and he was really opening his heart to me. And this was an amazing guy; like he had a real, he wanted to see people come come to know the Lord and live out their faith. And we talked about his budget, you know, because one of the things we've often said: your values is not what you say; it's what you do. And and you want to know what you value. Look at your budget, <laughs> and something. I'm not kidding you. Like something like thirty five percent of the parish's money went into the school. It's a huge amount of money. And I said to him, well, are you make, is the school making disciples? Are people coming to know the Lord and becoming, becoming faithful followers of Jesus? And he looked at me and he said, no. We've got a great school where we're teaching mathematics and this subject and that subject, and people come from all over to come to our school, but there's, virtu- there's very, very, very little fruit. And what I realized was that, that was not a... A large parish with a school that was a large school that had a parish attached to it because if you look at what they were valuing the primary value was was education and not raising up disciples and then that's a that sounds like a very tough thing to say and this priest knew it he agreed with me 
and yet he felt paralyzed. He felt stuck. And I've heard from, especially down in the U.S., I've heard a lot from from priests and, and different people who who really really struggle with this. If if the resources that we use to keep the school afloat, if they were put into adult evangelization and these kind of processes that we're talking about, watch out world. The world would be changed. And then maybe we could have a model of Catholic schools that would really uh, build upon that. But that's a really difficult question for the church today. Where are we putting our resources? So we've talked about sort of um, some of the different models, but I'm wondering about the people. Uh, You know, well, I know a lot of parishes out there, they end up just, uh, you know, they're struggling to find catechetical teachers. They're trying to do anybody, like, please, someone. Uh, how, how important are the people in this? Well, that's the hard part. And, and, you know, it goes for catechesis, but it goes for all ministries, for that matter. A lot of times we prop up our ministries or our catechesis or other, thing, other, other things because it's the way we've done it. And so we use people to raise up our ministries or raise up our catechetical program. But what if we used our our ministries to raise up people? It means you need to develop a leadership culture, a culture of leadership in your church where you're apprenticing people and bringing them along so that you're putting the right people in the right place so it's a good fit. It's a fit based on who they are and what their gifts are. Uh, And when you do that, it's obvious people do a really good job. They become, they're contagious. People want to be around them because they're doing what they were meant to do. And a lot of times, because catechetical programs are so big and there's so many classrooms and so many students that we, we're just grabbing parents and saying, please, please, please. So we're always doing these appeals. If we don't get this, we're going to have to cancel this. And so some very generous person will step forward who might not have the passion and the gifts and that's who we submit our children to. It's one of our values that's stated in the book is strength-based ministry, and we say begin with the person and their particular passions and gifts and release, see them released in ministry rather than guilting people in or finding some warm body to plug the hole. And we like to say around here, around here, use your ministry to build up people. Don't use people to build up your ministry. Uh, and so part of this, it's a, it's a consequence of the fact that the, the car is broken down but we keep changing the tires and we keep, you know, tinkering with the engine or, or try, trying to keep keep it going in some way. And, and it just leads to frustration and burnout. And 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 the kids aren't having not all that much fun either. It, but it raises a question, okay, so we moved away from this model. What, in fact, did we do right. for the kids here, you know, for, for children's ministry? I mentioned that we moved everything to family. And we really took to heart this idea that faith formation doesn't have to be continuous and, 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 and then terminal. And we thought, what would it be like if if we were able to have a culture of discipleship within the parish so that learning and growing was something that, that you did from the cradle to the grave? That, that it was not, and we said, what if the church was the program? Yes. What if the, the atmosphere we breathed within the parish was a discipleship atmosphere? Well, that means that, wait a minute, I don't have to put all this knowledge into kids' heads by the time they're in ninth grade. I don't have to do that. We've got we've got the rest of our life. So so we busted it up. We broke it apart. So we said, first of all, we're not going to do anything that doesn't involve families. And uh, so right now, what we do is we have uh, we have our basic program is 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 offered twice a month. It's the same experience. So it means that you come once once a month in between mass, and it's uh, we have teams of people and we work with the the parents and and the children. We call that gift growing in faith together. And it's very kind of, like, we don't take attendance. Uh, you don't even have to be Catholic. Anyone can show up. There's really no expectations. We come together, the skits, there's games, the songs, there's teachings. It's a lot of fun. Food, of course. 
And then our next program that we invest in is sacramental years. Because really, we looked at it was a thing that was happening naturally. You know, there was a huge bump in, in attendance for sacramental years, and, every, and families would disappear. So we said, what, if it, what would it look like if we, instead of putting, you know, one-tenth of our resources and energy into working with that group, what if we put 80% of our energy into working with that group? <clears throat> so we did a few things. We basically disconnected sacraments from age for kids. Uh, so we said, it's not grade-based or age-based anymore. We celebrate sacraments with people when they're ready, which was really awesome. It was like, oh, what basis are you going to make a decision on whether people should re receive sacraments with, if they're ready? You know, so if a family say, well, we want our child to receive First Communion, are you presently go going to church? Well, no, we don't never go to church. Well, great, let's help you get ready for that. That's, that's part of the process. So we said sacramental years family-centered, and we really invested in that. And so our, our sacramental programs are called PACT, which stands for Preparing and Celebrating Together. I think that's what it means. But it's really, really cool. And what <laughs> happens is our teams get to know these families really, really well, and they journey together over a period of eight weeks. So we actually have First Communion a few times a year, First Reconciliation a few times a year as well. Um, and, and what a difference, because see, before my first year here, we would have 70 families coming forward at First Communion. And in Advent, we did this kind of like a scrutiny thing like you do with the RCIA and at Mass, Sunday Mass, so they'd all come and you see these people. It was like, wow, I've never seen these people before. And they come <laughs> they come up to the front and they went through this thing that said, you know, do you promise to bring your child to the celebration of the Eucharist? Yes, we do. And they'd make these promises. <laughs> I'd never see them again. And the next time I'd see them would be for First Communion. So it was like it made no difference. And, and so we worked with these people that we never saw hardly at any time to give them our, our, our attention. So now we've, our, our attendance overall is probably down about 50%, but we actually get to work with these families and we see a difference. We get to know them and uh, it, it's, it's quite incredible because coming to mass is a part of the program as well. You don't, it's, it's not an add-on because we had people, you know, coming, going to the program, but never going to mass. So in a sense, people went to the program, but never got with the program. One of the things I wanted to point out, too, is Father James mentions us working with families. And let's be honest, families look a little bit different these days. And, and you know, in some cases, it's actually the grandparents who are bringing their grandchildren to the gift program and to PACT. And so whatever people's families look like, we're working with them, meeting them where they are, and just loving the daylights out of them and trying to provide the support and the encouragement we can to grow faith in their families. The other thing we see, too, is through Alpha, we seeing a lot of adult conversions. So people coming to faith and coming back to the church, and then they're saying, well, uh, my 10-year-old daughter isn't baptized. Uh, so I'm, what I'm, Or my 14-year-old son is, hasn't made his first communion. So, you know, the neat orderly, you know, age thing is already all messed up. Mm. So this way, well, it's great because our starting point is there's no fixed age. We meet people where they are, and we celebrate sacraments with people when they're ready and it's been such an incredible blessing to, on First Communion Day, to have you know, sometimes kids who are younger than the normal age because in their parents' judgment, and my, myself as pastor, they're ready because sometimes children who are younger than normal age are truly ready to receive the Eucharist. They love the Lord. They have an understanding. And sometimes it's, it's older kids, and it, and it goes down to the fact that we work with people. And people have very—they all come in different shapes and sizes, and they're in different places. And what's wonderful is when we, we celebrate— when they're ready and it's not age-based anymore. We do the same with confirmation as well.
You're blowing up the uh, the catechesis factory here, and I think you know <laughs> uh, the the line workers out there are probably feeling a little stressed. And so I'm 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 actually thinking about people yeah. who are listening, right? Okay. I mean, what what should I mean? Obviously, they they could read your book. They should come to the conference. Uh, but really, what what should these leaders out there who are listening and going, man, I the system I'm operating under is so different than what I'm hearing you describe, Father James. It's so different than the experiences I'm hearing you talk about, Ron. What should I do? What's my first step? What what can I do? Don't marry yourself to the system. Marry yourself to Jesus Christ. I think that's exactly what we do. I think we've attached ourselves to so many wrong things. And it's so easy to see in other people, by the way. It's so easy to see that in other people. But Lord, convict me. Holy Spirit, convict me of the things that I've made false idols of in the church. And help me to cut a hole in Peter's roof and lower people to you. What's that look like? That has to be our heart. And if it's not, then we're always going to get stuck on systems. And if we can start with that place and bring great people around us that will also lay down their life for that vision, we will start to find answers. And it's going to get messy. It's not going to be easy. But if it doesn't start with that conviction, then it's not even a conversation that needs to take place, actually. Also, always in the church, we're tempted with this, and we have to ask ourselves, are we married to the mission or the model? Someone once said that if the if the um, rail companies in the early 20th century or even the late yeah you know, the the early 20th century if they were really interested in travel, they would have sold the trains and bought airplanes, uh, but they weren't interested in travel. They were interested in trains. I mean, but the end of a train, the the purpose of a train is to get people and stuff from one place to another. Uh, but but sometimes we can be so so connected to our model that that we that we hold on to it, we cling to it, even though it may have stopped working. And I think this is this is the case with with catechesis. What is the what is the end game? It's to make disciples uh, and to equip disciples for the for to live out their their faith. And uh, we live in a different culture anymore. You know, people don't take trains; people take planes in, in a sense. So uh, we've we've got to really look at that and. Regardless of what your role is, speak to the, your, the leadership of your church. You know, share your heart, share, share your experience, uh, approach your, your your parish priest. Begin to have this conversation, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because the point. Often we fear the unknown, or we fear making mistakes. And and we did a podcast a while back called uh, "Managing Expectations." Like when you undergo divine a uh, process of divine renovation to re, to renew things, it, it it can be scary. The the mistakes will will be made, uh, and uh, but. One of the convictions I have here at St. Benedict is not that everything, I think that everything we're doing is the, is the absolute right thing or it's the best thing. I can't say that, but I know it's better than what we were doing. I have that conviction. And what we're doing is we're constantly trying to renew the model. We've got principles. I've, we've stated some of these principles and values, and we're constantly evaluating the model. Because the model and saying, how can we do this better? What how what are we missing? How can we improve this? How can we improve this? Every single year, we we go back to Ron. So you you say something about that because you're working a lot with our staff to say how can we improve our models? How we can we do it all the time? We're constantly doing that. And one of the things that we've struggled with as a staff, and and I say struggle with struggling towards because we're going to continue to struggle with it until we get it right. What are we measuring? What? Are we measuring? And in the Catholic Church, we're not used to measuring anything. We're used to being really busy, but we're not used to measuring. And so we're constantly trying to find ways how can we measure? Because if we're measuring, we know what success looks like and we're measuring, then we can we'll know whether or not we're successful. Because most people 
measure themselves by how busy they are. I couldn't possibly do another thing. I'm really busy. Well, okay, but are you effective? And so for us, it's, it comes down to how, what are we measuring? How can we measure it differently so that we continually evolve and innovate so that we can become more effective? And to be honest with you, once you get the main principles right, then a lot of the adjustments are small. They're small adjustments that can make incremental differences. And that's probably a bigger part of what goes on week from week to week. And it's not just at the end of the year. It's week to week we're doing it. And at the end of the year as we're planning our next ministry season, if we need to blow something up because it's not working, well, at least we know because we've been measuring it. And we will blow it up because success is is – failure is not an option. <laughs> the thing is, too, that blowing things up, blowing up your model is is not just when something's not working. Sometimes you have to blow up a model when it is working. And that's the hard the hardest thing to change is a model that it's actually working, but it's not working as well as it could be. And I'll just say this quickly that we we had this experience when we the first couple of years here when we did a push for adult faith formation and evangelization. At one point we had thirty percent of our adults involved in in information. Thirty percent. But our model was the staff organized these programs, they're big, they're held on location here in the parish. And we literally blew the building out. We had people meeting under the stairways. We, we maxed out the building at 30%. And, and also the models we had is the, the exact courses we were using had to be led by particular kinds of people. So you couldn't really multiply them. And we realized our goal is 60, 70% adult involvement. Well, we've maxed out our building. So we had a model that was working, but it wasn't going to take us anywhere. It wasn't going, it wasn't going to be scalable. So over the, it took us another year and a half or so, and we, we totally redid the model. And that's when we come up with discipleship groups, which are not centrally organized, and, and they're, they're pushed out in, into homes, a very different model. So sometimes you have to change your model because it's not working, but sometimes even when it's working, you've got to change it in order for it to be scalable and, and continue to grow. All right, I think we got to cut it off there, guys. I will make an observation that uh, I know both of you find yourselves in ministry. I wonder, though, if you should have found yourself in demolitions. Uh, <laughs> I, thank you so much for this conversation today. I think it was uh, really, it, we went a lot of different ways with, with the top of catechesis. And uh, we also, I think, hopefully, uh, provided some some both concrete examples and some possible next steps. So uh, if people are, are interested in more of Father James Mallon, Father James Mallon, where can they find more of you? At FJ Mallon is my Twitter, and uh, that's kind of a portal to all other things. Including Periscope, which you Including just started Periscope, up recently. website, etc., uh, etc. Et Excellent. And Ron, Ron Huntley, where can people find more of you? Twitter is a great place to connect with me at at Ron underscore Huntley. And as we mentioned last time, please, if you have any questions around a divine renovation, around parish life, around leadership, around anything faith-related, you can tweet out a question and put hashtag DRQuestion, and we'll try to look at those and form, help that form our future podcast. And I just want to point out that underscore is actually not Ron's middle name. <laughs> All right, this is the Divine Renovation Podcast. For more information on Divine Renovation, hit up divinerenovation.net. That's our website where you will find all sorts of cool things, and you will make sure your email address is on our email mailing list. And if you haven't yet got there, you are making a mistake because we are talking about the conference that's coming up next year, and you really want to be at the conference because being at the conference means that you get to be here with us, and we want you there. So keep us in your prayers and your thoughts as we keep uh, you in ours, and uh, we look forward to the next time. Amen. Amen.